one. Some of, some of chapter two, maybe even get into a touch of chapter three, but we're kind of in the way of overview. But uh, 1 Samuel chapter one, um, I want to mention this first. I think we got a, uh, we got a birthday boy here this morning. He's smiling so he knows who I'm talking about. Hey, Bubba. Y'all know Bubba? Bubba, wave at the crowd. Okay. How old are you, Bubba? Ten? Man, been a long time coming, hasn't it? Double digits. Bubba, happy birthday. I hope you have a wonderful day today, okay? Happy birthday. All right. Um, the topic this morning, I just realized, I was thinking, I, I didn't get Aaron the slide. I didn't get him a, a title for the message this morning, so it may just be a blank screen up there. But the title for the message this morning is this, Uncommon Commitment in a Compromised Culture. Uncommon Commitment in a Compromising Culture. And that's where we're at today. And so it's it kind of strange topic for a Mother's Day. I hope, I hope, I hope it'll tie together. You'll understand this. But I want to w- wish you all, all of our mothers out there, I want to wish you again, happy Mother's Day. And I want to encourage you that if your mother, if your mother this morning, if your mother has passed, uh, I encourage you to do this. Thank the Lord for your mother. Amen. Spend some time praying and thank the Lord for your mother. You have life today. Uh, absolutely, it's all because of the Lord. The Lord used your mother. She had a big part in that, okay? So thank the Lord for your mother. If you had a godly mother, praise Him for that. If your mother was not a godly mother, I mean, there are are folks that have just horror stories of their their parents. Listen, do what God would would have you do. Forgive them. Forgive them and and thank the Lord for them. Amen? Just talk to the Lord. If If your mother is still with us, if your mother's alive, then I encourage you to do this. Thank God for your mother, okay? And get on the phone. If you can't go see her in person, get on the phone and, and talk to her. I don't know what we're, we're, we're debating what we're going to do, but I have not one but two stepmothers in, in, down in the Kissimmee area. And we're, we're considering running down that way, St. Cloud, Kissimmee, this afternoon to, to just surprise them and go see them. And uh, y'all are going, wow. Yeah, I do have a messed up family. It's a, it's a strange thing. But it would be, I can't get to Georgia to see my mom. I'll call her today. I may FaceTime with her, but I can go and spend some time with them. Uh, and then I, I want to encourage you with this. Uh, Pastor Aaron touched on some of, some of this with loss or different things. But I'm going to encourage you today, uh, forgive. Okay, forgive. And, and I hear a lot of times, I hear, I hear believers who live in bitterness and they wouldn't acknowledge it, and they wouldn't even maybe realize it, but live in bitterness. And when you're constantly bringing up the negative of someone or something, it, there's, a, there's a bitterness there. There's some unforgiveness there. And listen, all of, our, all of our parents have made mistakes. Amen? If you're a parent, raise your hand if you've made a mistake. Okay? So, you know, I want my kids to forgive me for the mistakes I've made. And so I want to be very forgiving of my parents for the mistakes they've made. And uh, that's God's will, folks. It's not like we're doing something, oh boy, I'm just, I'm being, I'm like, I'm like Peter. Should I forgive 77 times, Lord? No, no, no. We're doing just what the Lord has asked us to do, is to be forgiving. And uh, man, it'll be a great Mother's Day if, if your mother might have hurt you or something, whatever it might be. If there's hurts there, encourage you this day to forgive them, alive or, or dead. Forgive them and, and give that to the Lord and thank the Lord for your mother. Amen? That's free. That wasn't even in the message. 
All right. So as we talk about uncommon commitment in a compromising culture, uh, German writer Wilhelm Busch said this. He once said, I, to become a mother is not so difficult. On the other hand, being a mother is very much so. I'm not a mother, so I can't. Uh, mothers out there, y'all want to amen that? Amen. amen. I mean, it's not hard to become a mother, but to be a mother, to, 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 to be a mother and to live out as a mother, that's a, that's a difficult thing. When asked of the greatest need in France, Napoleon responded emphatically, mothers. And I'd say this, I believe that one of the greatest needs in America today is for godly, for, for good, godly mothers and grandmothers. We need mothers who are godly, who love the Lord, who are faithfully serving the Lord, and in modeling that to their children in every way. And, and grandmothers the same way. You have influence with your grandkids that, you know, in some ways might exceed your pa- their parents in, in a way. So use that. Be a godly example for the children and grandchildren in your life. Now, we want to get the pictures. We'll look here in 1 Samuel. Just, just, and, and it's very simple because if we go chronologically, we would go to the end of Judges. And then from the end of Judges, we'd step right into 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I want to go to the very last verse of Judges chapter 21. You can, you can go there if you want to read this, but I'm going to read it to you. Judges 21 verse 25 says, in those days, there was no no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now that's a time much like today. Amen. You know, we're in a time today where people that they, they want their own way. They, they, wanted, they believed, you know, p- people in that day, look, they went their own way. They believed what they wanted to believe. They lived however they wanted to live. Right and, and wrong was defined by their own imaginations. Does that sound like um, any, anything today? People go their own way. They believe what they want to believe. They live however they want to live. And right and wrong is defined in their own imaginations. Look, that's, that's what they were facing then. It's what we're facing today. So when we, when we get here to 1 Samuel chapter 1, we, we really find there's some compromise is everywhere. And if you read through it, I'm not going to highlight each one, but I'm going to tell you about these. When we start with chapter 1, we, we, verse 1, we're going to find, we're going to see this man named El, uh, Elkanah. And that is, that is Hannah. We're going to be talking about Hannah, but that's Hannah's husband. Well, Elkanah, as I'm studying this, he's a priest. He's a, he's a Levite. He would have been a, from the line of Levi, and he would have been a priest in that sense. But he was, he was committing polygamy. Okay, we're going to see first thing is he has two wives. He's committing polygamy. So there's compromise in, in his home. Eli, the priest, he was negligent. We're going to read about Eli. He was negligent in dealing with his, with his own wayward sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Okay? And then you got Hophni and Phinehas who were corrupt and they, they didn't know the Lord and they abused their position. So what we have is, is, is the background of the story is it's a culture that's gone crazy. You've got the people who ought to be living right, who aren't living right. You've got a, a husband who knew better, who's practicing polygamy. You have, you have the, the priest who's not doing what he should do, and his children who were priests who were serving in that regard, who were corrupt and vile in the way they were living their lives. So it is a compromising culture, much like what we're facing today. So let's, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I pray as we... Look now into the story of Hannah, her desire to be a mother, her desire to have children, her desire to honor you. We're going to see all that this morning, Lord. And I pray that you might speak to the hearts of our mothers because, Lord, as we're going to see, 
Motherhood today is countercultural in many ways in our culture here in America today. Being a mother, staying home, being a wife, staying home, those are all things that are counter to our culture. We have a vile culture today, Lord, that there's compromising people living as they want to. Lord, I pray we'd be encouraged this morning to live committed lives, committed lives of faith for you. Lord, and may this not just be a message that would encourage our mothers, but be a message that would encourage each one of us. May there be something that we can take from this today that will help us in our walk with you. So bless now as we look into this this story here. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. Now, the first thing I want to look at is is we're talking about Hannah, is Hannah's burden. And the fact is she's barren. So let's look at verse 1. It says, now, there was a certain man of Ramathayim, Sophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, and, uh, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of uh, Zuf, and Eph- uh, Ephraimite. Don't y'all listen. I hate reading some of the <laughs> scriptures. I, I'm telling you, it's a fear. Uh, I was never a good reader. Anybody in here never a good reader in school? I was a terrible reader. I, I, I hated I would rather have to get up and do a song and dance than read in school. And so there's a fear that breaks out over me when I have to read these names. And when I butchered them there, please forgive me, okay? Verse 2. When we come to verse 2, it says, And he had... So we're talking about Elkanah. And in verse 2, it says, He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Pen, Pen, uh, uh, Penina. Penina and Penina had children, but but Hannah had no children. And we're going to learn that it was not her doing. It wasn't that she didn't want to have children. It wasn't that necessarily she couldn't have children. We're going to learn because verse five tells us very clear that it was God's doing that Hannah had not had children at this point. In fact, the end of verse five says, "Although the Lord had closed her womb," as Pastor Eric shared earlier, that is that's the Lord's business. Now, sometimes families are grieved and they're, they're troubled because they, they want to have children. They try to have children. And, and, and they, we, we want children. We, we want children. And God has a plan sometimes. Quick story. I had a, a teacher when I was doing FCA. was a teacher over in New Smyrna Beach who wanted children. And she just couldn't have children. And they kept, they did everything. I mean, everything. Spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to try to have children. In vitro fertilization, all those different things. And, and finally they said, you know what? The Lord just has decided we're not going to have children. So they said, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to adopt. So they decided to adopt. They went through the process. They got the child that they adopted. They adopted the child. And guess what? She got pregnant. And then she got pregnant again. And so, you know what, that's the Lord's doings. And just because the Lord's, just because you haven't had a child doesn't mean you won't have a child, okay? So don't give up on that. And, uh, but, but what we see here, and, and kind of the background of this, as you study this, there's the belief that Hannah was his first wife, and that Hannah had not had children, so that Elkanah went and took a second wife, because it was very important to have children, to have a lot of children. There, and there's some reasons we'll talk about that, but that's kind of the situation we're in. Verse 3, this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of, sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Now the, Hophni and Phinehas, again, they're the priests, they're there, they're, they're, they're just wicked, wicked men. 
Verse four, and whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to uh, Penina, his wife, and to all his sons and daughters. So, so Elkanah would give to all of them. When, when they went to make offering, he would give them something to give, a portion to give. But look at verse five, it says, but to Hannah, he would give a double portion for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. She was belittled. We're going to see this. She was belittled. She was harassed. She was mocked. Verse 6, and her rival, this is Penina, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. Now, Penina was most likely, again, was the second wife. And when, when these, these uh, listen, uh, men, I've heard men say it'd be great to have two wives or three wives or whatever. I'm like, y'all are crazy. You're crazy, and you're going to create trouble. Imagine this. You've got, you, you've got Hannah, and then he goes and he marries a second wife. And, and so what do you have? You've got tension in the home. And we see that in Scripture. If you go back into, into Genesis, we see where Abraham did this. You have Sarah, you have Hagar, and there was tension there. there there's going to be tension and animosity because it's not the godly thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. And so this, this uh, Penina, she was... She was the second wife, and there was probably jealousy from that. So she was harassing Hannah because Hannah had no children. She's just harassing her. She's belittling her. She's mocking her. And so you can, you can imagine the pain that Hannah is under, not only because she wants children, but now she's being harassed by this, this other wife that's come in who's got all these children, and, and it's a burden. It's heavy on, on Hannah, and she was distraught. She's distraught because she had no children. But she wanted children. And in the day in which she lived, women considered motherhood sacred. And if a woman couldn't bear a child, she felt disgraced. If you go back to Genesis chapter 30, Rachel said to Jacob, said, give me children or, or else I die. I mean, it was, it was a desire in that time. Deuteronomy 28.4 teaches us that childbearing is God's blessing. We read, blessed shall be the fruit of her body, of your body. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So we see that children are a blessed thing. And, and, and at that time, man, people wanted children. They wanted big families. Culture expected children. That was expectation in the culture of that day, was that they would, have, they would marry, they would have children, they'd have a lot of children. And there was multiple reasons for that. Children helped with the family business. You know, you had more, you had more to go out and, and do. It was child labor, it was, and that was a big part of what they did. They sent them out to take care of the herds. They had big families. They helped build family wealth. And they also helped to keep the family wealth because what they had acquired, then there were children to carry it on and to, and to continue to grow that. And they wanted to take on, to continue their family. But more than that, having children and raising godly children was God's plan. That's, that was why, that's what they wanted to have children for. Those who were serving the Lord, they, they, there were a lot of those, those personal, listen, I, I imagine back 150, 200 years ago, uh, when people were settling in America longer than that, when people were coming over and settling, they wanted a lot of children. Because as the, the older children got to take care of the younger children, as they got older, they could work the farm, they could work the fields, they could do those things. There was a desire for that. But there was also a desire because that's what God said, be, be fruitful, multiply, amen? And so there was that desire. Hannah had that desire. She wanted to raise a family. Folks, God's plan has not changed with the changes of our, changes of our culture today, Amen? His plan hasn't changed. 
His desire for us to have families, for, to, to get married and to be a family, to have children, to raise godly children. Those are still, that's still God's plan. Okay? His plans haven't changed. Verse 7, so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Again, Penina provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Again, the burden that is on Hannah. She has no children. She wants children. She wants godly children. She wants to honor God with children. She wants to do what is culturally right, what is biblically right. She wants to do all these things. She has this desire. And then here is this, this other wife who's just tormenting her. And she's, she's just broken over this. You can see it. She wept and did not eat. Now, I heard someone, uh, I was studying this, and they said that, that she was fasting. I don't, I don't read that right there. I don't see that as fasting. I think she was so burdened and heavy-hearted and hurt and distressed by this that her eating wasn't fasting. Now, it might have been fasting since she wasn't eating, but it wasn't because she was fasting before the Lord at, at this point. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Now, he's trying to be a loving husband. He obviously loves her. It's very clear from this. And, he, and, he, and he's trying to help her. And he says, am I not better to you than ten sons? Now, that's, guys, that's what we think. We, we think we're, we're that important. You know, that we're, we're better than ten sons, right? We're better. I'm better. Ain't I better? No. Okay. Don't ask if you don't want the answer, Okay. So Elkanah, he loved Hannah, and he tried to comfort her. He spoke kindly to her, and he, you know, we already saw where he gave her a double portion. And, and when, he, when he gave her a double portion, understand, he didn't neglect the others. He just showered extra blessing on Hannah. And it's very evident that he loved her, and, and, and he, wasn't, he wasn't down on her because she had not had children. And I don't know if it's because, doesn't say, I don't know if it's because he trusted God in this and just knew that was God's plan, or if he just loved her in that way that he didn't, he didn't let that grieve him. But, but I, I give him kudos for the fact that he didn't, he didn't turn on her. He didn't get angry with her or, or look down on her because she didn't have children. In verse 7, we, we see, if you go back and see that, we see that, that, that this had gone on for, for, for a long time. This wasn't just a, I mean, you know, she's under three months of stress. You know, it's just, no, it says, so it was year by year. Now, I, I, that's at least two. But year by year, I hear that, I'm, I'm thinking multiple, three, four, five maybe, that this has gone on. And we know that, that, that Penina has multiple children. She had children, so the years have, have now accumulated, and, and it's year after year, and she is heartbroken. Again, Hannah wanted children. That was kind of the culture of the day, but that's not the culture in which we live in today. Many women today have no time or desire to raise a child. It's a different culture we're in. There was a very, this very pretty actress was being interviewed on television, and she was asked if she planned to have any children. And she said she did not think so because it would mess up her figure and her career. That's where, that's where our culture is today. And by the time she is too old to act, she would not be able to bear children. That's where we're at. The world revolves around us, and it's, it's all about me. Where's the desire for children today? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but you may know people who fall right into the culture of today. And, it, and it's an, it's an anti-God culture, and we're going to see some of this. You know, it used to be a curse if a woman could not bear children. 
Today we have women in our society that feel they're living under a curse if they have children. Isn't that a shame that that's where we're at today? The view, the view by many, by much of our culture today is that children are, they're inconvenient. They, they hinder our lives. They slow us down. They, they're, they're anything but that. They're a blessing from the Lord. Amen. Moms are looked down on. In many cases, moms are looked down on for staying home and raising children. Our culture looks down on that. Culture says, don't marry. Don't have a family. Just be selfish. You just look out for you. You get all you can, and, and you just look out for, for, for yourself and, your, and yourself only and the opportunities that you have, and you don't want to be married and be locked down that way. You don't want to have children and be locked down that way. You want to be free to do what you want to do. That's the culture today. Culture today doesn't want women to have children. But listen, they celebrate when a woman identifies as a man and has a child. Now, isn't, isn't that messed up? We have a culture that tells women, you don't want to have a child. That'll mess your life up. You should have an abortion. You, you, should, you should not do that. No, let's not, let's not take precaution ahead of time. Let's just, let's just, if we get pregnant, let's just do away with the child. Let's just murder. That's the culture we live in today. But don't have a child. Ladies, you shouldn't have a child. But celebrate when, when a woman wants to say, I'm a man, and then gets pregnant and has a baby. I can tell you this scientifically, and I may get, we may get pooted off of everything. I may have people protesting out front. I really don't care. Guinness, the Guinness Book of World Records in 2010 recognized this guy who was identified, this, not this guy, this woman who was identifying as a man, and they said, recognize him, this person, as the first married man the first married man to have a baby. What? But it, but it was a woman living as a man who had married a man living as a woman. And then they celebrate that as, 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 a, as the man. It was the first married man to have a baby. That's what it was. First married man to have a baby. Folks, there's 8 billion people on earth today. I don't know how many billion have lived on earth through the years. I don't know what the total is. But I, I know scientifically that exactly, exactly 0.0000000000 infinitely percent have been born of a man. None have been born of a man. And, and my question would be, where are the feminists today? When women are under attack, truly women are under attack. When the woman of the year is a man... Where are the feminists today to defend women? When men are in sports and competing and, and winning these medals, winning in swimming because they can't compete with the guys, so they come compete with the women. Where are the feminists today? No man ever has and, and, and never will have a baby. A woman is defined, if you look it up, and I, I encourage you, you want to see the foolishness today, they're, they're redefining everything. Go look up definitions. Just search words, search woman, search man, search mother, these things. But if you get down to it, a woman is defined medically, medically, as having a uterus and producing ovum, eggs. There ain't a man yet, a biological man that has that or can do that. If they can, they're not a man. Okay? So there are two genders, men and women. 
Then, and bio biology does determine gender. Okay? Biology determines gender, not feelings, not fantasies, not surgeries, not pronouns. All right? So you, some, are go, some are going, boy, preacher, you're, this is weird mess. It is a weird message for this morning. But listen, this is the culture we live in today. And it's a culture that is attacking women. We want to celebrate you women. We want to celebrate mothers today. They're taking all of that away. The best mother in America is a man. What? That's the kind of, the kind of foolishness that's going on in our, in our culture today. We live in a society where some women uh, have had many, many abortions. Before, before I graduated high school, there was a girl in our class that I know of had had six or seven abortions. Her own testimony in 1985-86. This is a culture where nearly a million babies are aborted each year. I'm interested in seeing the statistics and how the changes in the laws are, are going to affect that. And we know in some places I've already seen some drastic decrease in the number of, of abortions, which means that's lives saved, folks. Uh, there's, so we, we're aborting all these children. And so there was a TV program on it. was talking about American industry today and, and how that it, it's having to bring in foreign labor. And one of the reasons is because of the millions of aborted children. So if we, if we say we've got problems with not having a pe enough young people, shortage of young people to work in, in the labor force or to serve in the military, there's a reason. We've done that to ourselves. As a nation, we've killed, we've killed 60 plus million have been killed in the womb. These are people. It's a holocaust in America and around the world. You know, there are parts of our society that literally despise children. And we've aborted some of our finest citizens. We, we, we think about all the discoveries and, and, and medical, medical discoveries and cures for different things. What might have been? Who, who have we killed that might have, have, have done that? And so to illustrate that, there was a professor at the UCLA, UCLA Medical School who asked his students this question. He said, uh, here's, the, here's the family history. He says, the father has syphilis, the mother has TB, they've already had four children. The first is blind, the second child died, the third child is deaf, and the fourth has TB. So the mother is pregnant. So the parents are willing to have an abortion if you decide they should. And so his question to them is, what do you think? And sadly, uh, most of the students in the room decided that it would be, that the right thing to do would be to have an abortion. And the professor said, congratulations, you just murdered Beethoven. This will speak to you here in Central Florida. You know, if doctors had had their way, Tim Tebow would never have been born. If you know his story, the doctors said, oh, there's a high percentage, high probability he's going to be born with birth defects and maybe mental, mental retardation or different things. And really, really pushing and encouraging his mother and his family to abort him. And they said, nope, we're, we're going to trust the Lord. Hmm. Good call. Good call. Imagine the wor a world without Tim Tebow. I'm a bulldog. I'm a bulldog, and I can say that. That guy's, that guy's incredible. That guy's incredible. But praise God for that. Amen? Amen? We have women in the thousands marching in Washington, D.C., demanding the right to murder 
their unborn children. We have organizations like Planned Parenthood, which, which is no, no more than, a, than an organization that wants to prevent children from being born. And they profit off of the death of the unborn. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a money-making murder factory is what it is. We have those today who advocate for abortion by saying it's only a fetus. We get caught up in, in these words. Y'all understand, fetus is a phase in the process of human development. It's, it's a phase. It becomes a fetus. That's a process. But what is it? It is a human fetus. And what happens when it continues to develop? It's a, it's, we were, everyone in this room was once a fetus. Okay, so it's a natural part of human development in the womb. Now, when Mary was pregnant, when she was married with, pregnant with, uh, with Jesus, she was found, the scriptures say, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So, so the left wants to change the wording. It's just, it's just, it's a massive sale. It's a fetus. It's not a child. It's not a person yet. Absolutely, it's a person. Now, I'm going to tell you this, because uh, I want you to know where I stand as your pastor. There are many who say, I'm against abortion except in the case of, and I hear incest and rape. And I'm going to tell you, I'm against abortion and there are no exceptions. Listen, a life is a life. There's story after story after story of women who were raped, who became pregnant, who had that child, and what a blessing. What a blessing. And, and so we're going to kill the innocent child because of someone else's sin? No. I'm not going to do that. So my encouragement to you ladies this morning is don't let this culture deter you from what God has created you and called you to. And that's motherhood. That's a blessing to be a mother. Don't let this corrupt culture shame you for wanting what God wants. Now Hannah, again, wanted to be a mother. Second thing here we see with Hannah is this. She had a great dissatisfaction. Hannah was tired of the way things were, and she did the only thing that she could uh, do that could make a difference. And, and she, she went to the only one who could make a difference. She went to the Lord, and Hannah prayed. Verse 9, so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in shallow. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost at, uh, of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Now, her, her desperation... Her, her dissatisfaction for the way things were at that, at that point, it, it drove her to prayer. But it was, this was a different kind of prayer. Now, she'd probably pr prayed before, but th this was... You, you, you ever gotten to a point where you really get true, earnest, real in prayer? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? You, you, you know there's times where we pray about things, but, but we're not really earnest in our prayer. You know, Lord, this is inconvenient. Take it away. Lord, I don't like this problem. Fix it for me. Whatever. She, she was tired of life the way it was. She, she, she became, you know, Paul said this. So Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. I, I, haven't, I haven't, I'm not perfect. I haven't reached perfection. And what I do, I press on. I press on. I keep, Paul was dissatisfied with where he was as a believer. I think Hannah, in some ways, is, is there's that same thing. There's that righteous dissatisfaction for the way life was. Hannah wanted children. And, and you know what she did? She goes to the Lord in prayer. And, and here's what I would say, though. Oh, that we wouldn't wait to get to that point before getting serious with God. 
Some people say, you know, you get to this place where, man, it was, it was the last thing I could do. Now, it ought to be the first thing we could do. It ought to be the first thing we do. We ought to get on our face before God. And whatever it is that's burdening our heart, we ought to get on our face before God and get serious with God. And that's what Hannah did. Verse 11, then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Look, she prayed in earnestness. She prayed, she prayed serious. She prayed strong. She prayed specific. She didn't pray some general prayer and make my life better. She prayed specific, Lord, if you would do this, if you would give your maidservant a male child. She didn't say just give me a child. She said give me a male child. Give me a man child, Lord. Then I will give him. To the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Now, here's what she did. And I think about Abraham, and we talk about Abraham and his great act of faith. God gives the child of promise in Isaac, and the, and the, and the, and the child of faith, and, and it's, man, it's the child that Abraham loves. And God says, Abraham, now I want you to take him, and I want you to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. And we honor Abraham in that. And we should. We should. I'm going to tell you what Hannah does is no less than that. It may even be more than that. Because Hannah says this, Lord, if you'll give me a man child, she, she says, I will give him to you. He will serve you all the days of, your, of his life and, and no razor shall come upon his head. That's a, that's, she's, she's doing the Nazarite vow right there. He'd be a Nazarite. He wouldn't shave. He's going to, he's going to serve you his whole life. Now she's saying, Lord, I want a child so much. And I want a child that will honor you. And Lord, if you give me that child, I'm going to give him back to you. She made this commitment for a child that's yet, not even yet conceived. And she's giving it to the Lord. Now, that gets into, do we make promises that then when it happens, do we keep it or not? And we're going to see what happens with her. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched. I'm going to skip that right there. Look, Eli was watching her. He thought he was, she was drunk. He thought, she's over there moving her lips and... He, he, he goes, hey, you need to put the wine away from you. He thought she was in there drunk and mumbling and stuff. And, and now, look, she could have got upset with that. She could have got upset. She could have gone all Karen on him right there. But she didn't. There weren't Karens back then. I, I don't know. They were Camillas or something. I don't know. But um, she didn't do that. She didn't go all upset with Eli. She just explained what the situation was. She says, oh, no, no, that's not. I'm not drinking. I'm not drunk. She says, I'm, I'm praying, I'm talking to the Lord, and, I'm, I, and I'm make, I, I want a child. And that's what, so she, 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 she prays this. And look, it would have been very easy for her to get mad, get upset about that situation. And, and I'll, I'll say this, sometimes when you're doing what God wants you to do, people will misunderstand. They will. When I, when I left RPS, which, was, which is now FedEx, when I left RPS 24 years ago, I didn't have a backup plan. I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a job. Gina's pregnant. We left Charlotte, North Carolina. People thought I was crazy. And I wondered. Thought maybe y'all are right. I don't know. But I believed in all my heart that's what the Lord would have me to do. Now, I'm going to tell you this. There are people who will deter you sometimes when you're doing... But if you're doing God's will... Now, here's another key to this. According to God's word... Don't just tell me I'm doing what God wants me to do because if it contradicts God's word, it ain't God's will. Okay, so be very clear on that. And when when you say, well, this is, I know this is what God wants me to do, then it will not conflict with his word. It should always line up with his word. Amen? Amen. 
Okay, so understand that. So she explains this. She explains what's going on. And then Eli answered and says, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant you your petition, which you have asked of him. Now, here's, here's, here's Eli who's responding to her and her request. And, and I believe that the Lord may have spoken to Eli, may have given Eli something there. But she, he gives a response. Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked today. So it's, may, God, may God answer that prayer. Now, here's what we know is that Hannah believed God and she exercised faith. Now, I don't know if Hannah knew she was going to have a child at that point, but I do believe this. Hannah said, I've given it to the Lord. It's in his hands. I take my hands off of it. I'm going to quit crying about it. I'm going to quit grieving about it. I'm going to quit complaining about it. I'm going to quit, quit all of this, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to take my hands off. Look what happens in verse 18. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And you say, is that, that, that's an expression of faith? Absolutely it was. The burden that was on her heart was gone. She gave it to the Lord. She took her hands off. I was telling you last week, sometimes, I think I was talking about Wednesday night maybe even, you know, we get our hands on things and we try to make it happen, you know, and I, I've, I've been guilty of that. And, and go, man, this is what, this is what we got to do. This is, this is the right thing to do. Don't y'all see it? This is what we got to do. And we get our hands on there and, we, and we're frustrated about it. But you know what we're doing? We're trying to, we're trying to make it happen. What we got to do is take our hands off of it and like, give it to, like Pastor Reynolds said, put it in your hand right there and say, Lord, there it is. Take it. Take it. Lord, put in my hand what you want to put there or take away what you want to take out. But that's what we have to do. She gave it to the Lord. She gave it to the Lord right there. She trusted the Lord for that. And man, she went away different. She got up with a smile on her face. No longer is she not eating and, and grieving and weeping. She's up and she's smiling and she's going on. And it goes on that in time, uh, verse 20, it says, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she named her son uh, Samuel. Samuel means this. It means heard of God. She prayed to the Lord. She gave it to the Lord. She trusted the Lord. And then when she received from the Lord, she acknowledged that. And she named him Samuel, heard of God. Now the man Elkanah and his house went up to, uh, up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. Verse 22, now Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, now, there's, here's, as you're reading through this, you don't, if, you, if you haven't read ahead in the story, you may read that and go, oh, well, here, she made a promise and she's backing up on it. And, and she says, so she tells her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And you could think that, but let's see what happens. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word so the woman stayed and nursed her child until she had weaned him. Now in that day, different again from our culture today, that would have probably been around four years old. So it was about four years old when, when he was weaned. And we come to verse 24. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh and the child was young. So at four years old, uh, she brought the child and was going to present him to the Lord. Now, here's what they did for four years. They raised Samuel in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They raised him in that. They educated him uh, in the Word of God. Now, was Samuel, you know, at four years old, was Samuel a scholar? You've got to understand in those days, 
kids, kids were learning massive amounts of scripture in their early, early years. So at four years old, if you think for a second your two-year-old can't read, can't can't learn, they they're not getting it. You think that that uh, you, if you think back here, it's just childcare and babysitting. That's not what this is, because these kids are sponges. Man, they, their minds are sponges and they absorb. And we want we want them to learn. You you should be teaching this way at home. Teach your kids. They educated him. They prayed with him. They prayed for him. They taught him to pray. They took him to church. Right? They took him to church. Folks, take your kids to church. You want to model, you want to model for your kids the most important things in their faith. Model it for them. Live it out in every area of your life. Don't hit or miss with church. Don't be here Sunday and go on a Sunday and, and, and well, we, we got something else we got to do this week. We'll do that. Be consistent. Show your kids that this is important. Because what you show them, they're, they're watching. What you're showing into them at that young age, they're going to reap. They're going to reap. So they slaughtered a bull and brought it, the child to Eli. And he said, oh, oh, my Lord. Uh, and she said, oh, my Lord. As your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. She gave, she gave her child, took him to, to, to Shiloh, to the tabernacle there, the wilderness tabernacle, to Eli, and said, he's here to serve and, and left him there. Who could do that? A woman who trusted God. A woman who loved the Lord. So she, she gave Samuel back to God. She, sure, she understood that Samuel was a gift from God and she gave him back to, to God. Now we do baby dedications, right? We do those. Now baby dedication is not a time for you to say, Lord, this is your child. I'm going to do everything I can, everything I can to bring this child to you and then we go out of here and do everything the way I think it ought to be done or the way, the way I feel like it ought to be done or the way I want to do it. When we make that commitment, we need to seek out the Word of God and raise those children as He says raise those children. Yeah, right. Amen? That's, right. that's the commitment we need to make. We need to, we need to teach them the Word of God. We need to pray with them, pray for them, bring them to church, be consistent in your walk, model it out, all of these things. That's what we're doing when we dedicate our children. This ain't some magic ceremony that goes on. Oh, we dedicated our children. They're going to be great. No, you, you can do that. Then walk out of here and do nothing else that models that for them. And, and so Hannah, she surrendered her dream of being a mother. She surrendered that. And that child, she surrendered him to the Lord and gave him to the Lord. What's your dream? Have you surrendered your dream to the Lord? Is it marriage? Is it family? Is it children? Is it grandchildren? Is it a career? What, what's your dream? Whatever it is. Hers was she wanted to have a child. She wanted a man child. And then she gave her dream. She gave it right back to God. No greater way to honor God than to give Him the desires of your heart, the dreams that are in your life. And that's what she did. Man, when we surrender our dreams, God can do incredible things in that. Let me ask you this. What do you want for your children? Do you want your children to live for God? I think every person in here would say, yes, I want my children to live for God. Or do you want your children to live apathetic towards God? 
I don't know that any of us would say that. Yeah, my desire is my kids just to be apathetic towards the Lord. I want them to not care. I want them to be ignorant and apathetic. They don't know and they don't care. No, we wouldn't say that. No one in here would say, you know what, I hope my kids just rebel against the Lord. None of us want that. Folks, I'm going to tell you, the way we raise our children, as I said this before, we're either building up, building up walls to hinder them from coming to the Lord or we're building steps to help them get to the Lord. So how are you going to live your life? Because it's how you live your life that you're modeling to them which is going to help them or hinder them. doesn't mean they will or won't trust the Lord and serve the Lord. But boy, you can either help them or you can hinder them with the way you live your life. Hannah, Hannah helped. She did everything she could for Eli to serve God. And then just two quick things here. Hannah, she praised God. She takes her son. She leaves, she leaves him there with Eli. She goes off and she makes him little, little outfits that she can bring back the next year that he can wear to serve in. She checks on him. She comes and visits. She loves on him. But he stays there and he serves the Lord. And she goes, and if you're reading chapter 2, you can read those first 10 verses. I encourage you to go read through that. Read her prayer. It's powerful prayer. She just praises the Lord. She's acknowledging who God is. Man, that's a, it's a prayer we ought, to, we ought to pray like that. She praised God. And then the last thing is this. Hannah was honored by Samuel's life. She was honored by his life. Verse 11 in chapter 2, Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Verse 17, Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. And that's Eli, oh, that's Hophni and Phinehas. They were, they, were just, they were just living in sin. Verse 18 says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Samuel grew before the Lord. Verse 21, it says, Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Verse 26, And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. And then we come to chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So we know that all of this was preparation. All of, you know, somebody, somebody says, When do you disciple someone? You disciple them after they get saved. No, you don't have to wait till someone's saved to disciple them. Disciple is teaching the word of God. Man, Samuel had learned the word of God. He had been, that had been modeled in his life. But up to this point, chapter 3, verse 7, Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. And we see right after that, God called him, called him. And he answers that call and he follows the Lord. And then you go down to verse 19 there and it says, So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. Verse 20, And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Hannah, Hannah, why did God wait to give Hannah a child? Maybe it was so she would become to that point where she was so serious and so earnest about it that she would absolutely do what God wanted to do. She would absolutely honor him in, the, in, that, in Samuel's life. And then when Samuel came along, she did that. She, she did exactly what she said she would do. She was a woman of character. She was a woman of great faith. It was, it was a faith that was, that was, it was an uncommon commitment in a compromising culture. With everybody around her, man, doing what was right in their own eyes, she could have easily said, they're doing all that stuff. I'm going to keep my son to myself. I, yeah, I know I promised the Lord, 
But he wouldn't hold me to that promise. Absolutely he would. Now here's what's interesting as I wrap this up. Pastor Aaron, um, you can make your way forward. You guys can, Jim, you can come up. Samuel honored his mother and father by the way he lived his life. We hear about children, honor your father and your mother. Now, if your mom and dad at a young age, if mom and dad tell you to do something, you should honor them by obeying your parents. And it should be yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Y'all hear this, little ones? Y'all hear this? Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, would you do so-and-so for me? Uh, that's not honoring your parents. Uh, I don't want to do that. Clean your room. Uh, uh. No, it ought to be yes, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. That's what it ought to be. Look, you want to honor, listen, you want to honor your father and your mother? This is for everybody now. If your parents are still alive, best way to honor our parents is how we live our lives. You live your life for the Lord. Now, I'm going to go again. If you live your life for the Lord, then you know what? If there's things you need to forgive, then forgive them. If there's restoration that needs to be done, you initiate it. You're the child of God. Well, they're a child of God too. They're saved. They, well, are we going to get into that? Well, they should be apologizing to me. Scripture's not, there's not really a clear thing there about, well, you, you only have to forgive if they apologize. It's the way we live our life. When we live our life honoring God, you know what? That brings great honor to our parents. Man, Hannah was honored by the way Samuel lived his life. And Hannah did everything she could to bring Samuel up in a way that he would honor the Lord. Do you see that? That's what we need to do, folks. Are you dissatisfied with where you're at? Are you dissatisfied with things in your life right now? Maybe this morning is a time to come and talk to the Lord about that. Maybe you're tired of just halfway walking along in this thing with the Lord. Maybe it's time that I want to go all in. Maybe, maybe it's a time that I, I give up this or I give up that or I take on this or I take on that. But if you're dissatisfied, now's a great time to talk to the Lord. Have you given your burden to the Lord? Whatever your burden is this morning, have you given it to Him? Today would be a great day to give your burden to the Lord. Are you trusting Him? Because if you're really trusting Him in whatever your burden is, then you stop fretting about it. You stop grieving about it. You stop complaining about it. And you trust God in it. Amen? And it changes us when we really trust the Lord. When God does bless, do we praise Him? I think a lot of times that's an area we, we could do better in. We're, we're quick to bring our petitions, but we're maybe not as quick to spend that time in prayer, prayer of praise. We should praise the Lord. Are you honoring the Lord with your life? If you honor the Lord with your life, there's a, there's a, there is a good chance that your children will honor Him with their life and thus honor you as well. So I, I encourage you, come this morning and give your burden to the Lord, whatever that may be.